Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of Wake Up Options, presented by Miami University Fighters Guild. My name is Matt, and I'm joined here today by Spencer. Hello. Uh, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm Spencer. I'm the uh, TO, or the tournament organizer, for our club. Yep. Uh, yeah, just, I organize the tournaments and events. His work is very appreciated. Once more, all of the opinions and thoughts here on this podcast are not affiliated with the organization or Miami University as a whole. But right now, the big talk of the town. Uh, disease is canceling pro tours. Yeah. There's a lot happening in relation to that. I think the biggest example of it right now is the last chance qualifiers for Final Combat up in Chicago being canceled less than 24 hours before the event. Yeah, and also as well as uh, events at Brussels for both Arxis and Capcom are being canceled. Yep. So uh, Some examples include Final Round probably not being part of the Tekken World Tour anymore. Uh... There is an event in California that is not coming to my head right now that was pulled from Capcom Cup. Uh, everything in between. Coronavirus scares are, and everybody's health is, of course, the best interest that you want to have in these sort of scenarios, but honestly, there's so much pulling out. I think it's an overreaction. It's, it might be a bit of an overreaction, but it's it's so hard to tell because it's like, I mean, everybody from everywhere travels to these events, so it's, it's like... Mm -hmm. I would maybe understand it if they just had it with no spectators, like a lot of events have been doing recently. Uh, for example, the Armstrong this weekend has no spectators at all. Right. And the Olympics is actually considering also having no spectators. Right. So I would expect maybe them to at least let the mm -hmm. participants still have a chance to like get their points for their like tour, but it's it just seems like a kind of a little hasty to just completely cancel it. Absolutely. I think right now. With communication being the way it is nowadays and Twitch being so huge, that's really the switch people are going to go for. Mm -hmm. It Live streaming is already, we already knew it was going to be a advanced option and going to be more and more that way, like replacing television down the line. But in the terms of fighting games, and which where it's already like grown popularity, FGC grew through Twitch and videos and a lot. things yeah. like, you know, like Evo Moment 37 being recorded on YouTube and thrown up that like got people into fighting games. Oh yeah, lots of different... Uh streaming services and especially a lot of the esports wave that's been coming to fighting games recently. Oh yeah. The esports. <laughs> yeah, that's just what fighting games mean. Esports. Esports. <laughs> oh man. Man, how do you feel about a lot of fighting games getting kinda into that esports quote unquote realm where it's a lot more commercialized product? Cause on the one hand players need that money. They need that sponsorships. But on the other hand, do you think it kind of kills that grassroots community kind of feel? Yeah, uh, there's definitely some issues with it that I have. Uh, I've always been a big like big participant in the idea of just grassroots. I mm -hmm. love Unist. I mean, they did get yeah. into Evo after being that is true. completely grassroots. But uh, yeah, no, I think that it's good for the for to keep like to sustain the fighting game community because you know it brings more people in. It helps pros stay up, and it helps them to actually just not have to work a real job. Right. <laughs> uh, and honestly, I think that they could definitely uh, benefit from it, but definitely it's killing grassroots in some situations. If you were to like look at, I guess, how there's only like one Killer Instinct tournament at this moment. Really. Right. Uh, same goes for Skullgirls. Skullgirls doesn't even have a tournament, really. Mm -hmm. they, just, they just latch on. Yeah. But it, they're still surviving, but yeah. Yeah, it, re it really gets to that point where... I don't want to say grassroots obviously isn't dying. You can people can go back and watch the second episode of Wake Up Options where we talk a little bit more in depth about grassroots. But 
Gra grassroots scenes do not really benefit from over-commercialization, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But that, that's just me. I know like exactly what you said. A lot of the older games, like Killer Instinct, Skullgirls, uh, the, they are not going to get any favors from esports stuff. Yeah. And with games like Street Fighter V, which is really apparent, ever since Street Fighter V was launched, it really went into that. It was Street Fighter's esports. Yeah, it was Street Fighter esports. Is, yeah. They wanted the sponsorships. They wanted like the product brands and things getting in on it. And esports is big now. So I understand it, but at the same time, I really wish it was... Yeah, I think, honestly, the worst part, though, is the idea of censorship kind of coming in. Yeah. Like, it's not... I'm not... Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, negativity shouldn't be a thing. That shouldn't be the thing, but, like... Right. It's not just that. It's the idea that, like, now we have to think really hard about, like, what we had been mm -hmm. talking about or, like, how the FGC had been is just kind of like a rough, tough... Right. ...kind of grassroots yeah. thing. Now it's more of, like, well... Will this upset our sponsors? So let's be careful. Mm -hmm. uh, will these people upset our sponsors? And like, will these games be appropriate for yeah. like for, for what our sponsors would like to represent? There's a, such a central idea of what's quote unquote brand safe. Yeah. In order to sponsor it, like Cup Noodle, I don't think would ever sponsor a Mortal Kombat tournament because it's not brand safe. Yeah. Which definitely. is why NetherRealm has to sponsor their own things. Which luckily they have the second most popular fighting game franchise in the world, so they can. They can do that. Yeah. They have a very large casual audience base, so they can kind of sponsor their own things. Yeah, and yeah, and they can get like unique sponsors who don't really care about that kind of brand safe thing. Yeah, that's a great example because mm -hmm. uh, I mean, MK11's already been like it's not even that it doesn't have like a following, but it's getting like dropped by a lot of people for the. I feel like that could be a reason because right. it's not. It doesn't like Evo, for example. Like maybe MK11 could be just like such a gory thing. It is. Yeah, I mean, it that's is. what they've always been, and mm -hmm. and they embrace that. But it I should be like that. It should be, and I think that just maybe esports is trying to get away from that a little bit more because it's just it's too yeah. emphasized on violence, which for some reason yeah, would be a thing. Yeah, it just doesn't coincide with like some of the ideals and these uh, this idea of in esports right now that you have to have an all-inclusive audience instead of the niche, which is what set fighting games apart in the first place, having a niche audience, having exactly. a specific set of people who enjoy a certain game and drawing people in due to their enthusiasm. Yeah. In regular esports, that may not be as apparent. Obviously, we're not experts on the subject, but <laughs> it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those things uh -huh. where you really want to see that same community hold that you saw when it was like 10 guys playing the game or still progress. The uh, flip phone videos with uh, first to 20 on uh, <laughs> yeah. Marvel versus Capcom 3. Woo! Miss those days, you know? Oh, you gotta miss it. <laughs> you, you hate to see it. Yeah. But I mean, I guess that kind of brings up the other point of esports and, uh, you know, when it comes to like the safety of players and you have our situation that has just recently happened with Daigo. Yeah. And he's talked about it uh, beforehand, but he didn't know if it was actually going to happen. But mm -hmm. uh, if you guys didn't know, uh, Daigo's sponsorship team that he's had to help, you know, maybe less fortunate people that are great at fighting games to actually like participate in the Capcom World Tour has been dropped. Yep, by Psy Games Beast has dropped their fighting game division that was sponsored by Daigo Mahara, also known as the Beast. The Beast, yes, Psy so, Beast. Yep, Psy Beast, all done. <laughs> it's very sad to see. Because you see sponsors drop off every now and then, yeah, and that's that sometimes is a mutual decision between them and the players, but most of the time it's someone overseeing just puts it down because they aren't making the revenue that they want, or something along the lines of they just aren't 
within the same scope that they had expected. Yeah. Or they're looking for different opportunities, blah, 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 business, blah, blah, blah. And I think what Daigo had been talking about when he was uh, streaming, he had been talking about kind of like, uh, what was it? He said basically like, Psy Games wants to stretch out into a different range of esports, and so they just want to expand. And they thought maybe that getting rid of that and just having only Psy yeah, would be only like Psy games. only Psy Games to be their thing. So Daigo, yeah. he kind of is, he's kind of upset about it, and it's not even about himself because no. it's not that he has multiple sponsors. He's right. all good. He's Daigo Mahar. Yeah, he's the he's, he's a he's legend. Street Fighter guy. Yeah, yeah. but it's like the five or six people that he's been sponsoring, and now they just don't have any support. And, like, I mean, these people, like, I guess Infectious, I think, is one of them. He had been great in tournaments. He had been doing pretty good. He gets top eights every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, now he's just cut out. And, yeah, and now he's left to do whatever. Yeah. And that's the that's the hard part about fighting game sponsorships and being a professional player in these days is because there's such a big disparity between the people that you're working for and you yourself going out. Because obviously yeah. you're not, you're not going to make top eight every time. You're going to have off weekends. And you could be a great player who makes consistent numbers and stuff like that. Yeah. But nowadays, businesses want you to get top eight every time. Exactly. You know? And so the more important route that professional players are starting to look at is creating a personal brand. Yes. Like through streaming and videos and creative outlets. Yeah. Mostly through Twitch streaming. Because that usually is the that's where a lot of stuff is. They get partnered on Twitch, then you have a stable or more stable. A more you just yeah. uh, you have consistent like money flowing right. in. Right. Yeah. Right. But that's hard. That takes a while to build an audience for just you specifically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Punk had such a terrible time. He lost like three sponsors in like right. two years. He just was not streaming and he was just not having a good time. Even though he was the best Street Fighter player. He just undoubtedly he couldn't keep a sponsor and it yeah. kinda sucks. Goes around to esports, kind of invading mm-hmm. the SGC. It's like, well, this guy is literally the best Street Fighter player at this moment. Right. Maybe not right now, but he was. He was. And he just, mm-hmm. they just kept dropping him. They just didn't think that he was the one for exactly. Him. It's. I really don't understand why people got drop consistent players because I see that happen more often than not. And I'm not obviously not a business. I cannot say by any stretch of the means what they're looking for or what they're what they want to represent their brand but at the same time I feel like loyalty towards players should be a big thing because then you look at how long Sonic Fox was with, was with Rick Echo Fox yeah. and that lasted a very long time as far as sponsorships go he did he left himself like of his own choice I'm sure they were didn't want to drop him because I mean it's Sonic Fox he's like one of he's, the best yeah esports player of the year last yeah. year I mean, esports player of the year and yep. he, yeah I mean like uh Shoot, no, I had a great example. Like, I mean, I would think about, like, you know, I think it's more about personality. Yeah. In my opinion, when you think about it, like, you look at the people that aren't in the fighting game community, which is what the sponsors seem to like to do, is yeah. look at outside of the fighting game community and be like, oh, well, you know, Ninja, personality, right. he's got it. There's a lot of people right that. now who just don't understand it, higher levels, because they're people, the people who are there are not as familiar with the fighting game community and how integral and close in it is and how different it is yes. from anything else. I have had to explain to several high, like, you know, standard white-collar businessmen, I've had to explain to them why trying to sponsor for a fighting game player is different from a regular esports player. Oh, yeah. And they don't seem as interested in the fighting game player because regular esports players make more revenue, have more viewers, etc., when you're investing in a fighting game player, you got to put into the commitment that 
he will have more consistent personal brand communication with his audience because the audience there is going to connect with him because that's the FGC in general. The community aspect is going to make sure that he doesn't like drop that much. Oh, He'll yeah. stay more consistent than, say, a CSGO or League player. Yeah, definitely for those uh, situations. And I mean, like, uh, they also kind of look at the numbers of, like, mm -hmm. tournaments. Uh, like, you have to dump in a bunch of tournaments for these people, sponsor, right. like, when you're sponsoring them. And they do have to have results, and usually they do, but it's... Mm -hmm. The problem is, like, the prize pool, which, I mean, I will say eSports has been giving the fighting games like community a lot better prize pools because <laughs> usually yep. like uh, evo used to be like here's like five thousand dollars for being the best at the here, game here, here's five dollars at candy bar yeah good job like, all right here you go oh yeah, oh you want a tournament oh mm, well, we're just gonna bad. pay for your, your tournament <laughs> fee that's pretty much it yeah isn't the tekken one of the tekken world tour events like 750 for first place now Oh yeah, it, it, it was something like dumb. It was like yeah, something dumb million like dollars. That. They had yeah, yeah. They're, they're getting a lot more prize support, which I'm glad. I am glad they fighting game players work as hard, if not harder, than normal esports teams, and they <laughs> work for themselves, man. Yeah. They're not on a team. They don't have the benefit of that. Only in very rare cases, like the new Street Fighter League. Yeah, which oh, yeah, is entering yeah. its second season, I believe. It's the second season. Yeah. Yep, second season. Some of the teams that are getting announced for that is fun. I'm a big fan of uh, the team that has uh, Smug and Punk on it, I think. Those, that duo. I don't, that, Smug's my favorite. Ooh, Smug, so, Smug is the good. Speaking of people the building their personal brands, Smug has built, managed to build his personal brand so well, in my opinion, because he established himself very early on as a very like uh, wild and funny, very comedic, very... <laughs> like that on streams and on tournaments, yeah. and then he just took that. He took that personality, that personality that he already had, and applied it to a Twitch stream. And oh yeah, what do you know? He's one of the most popular fighting game streamers. If he's got like yeah, popular fighting game streamer. Everybody knows that. You know, if yeah. you sit there for thirteen long frames, you're gonna get command grabbed. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Acting like you're not gonna get command grabbed. See, look, that's the kind of outreach that pro players are striving to go for these days. Oh yeah, that's crazy. All right, so I went to PAX East. Yes, you did. I feel like that is a fun thing to talk about because I like to talk about my most favorite topic. <laughs> I would love me. To <laughs> no, okay. So PAX East is not a fighting game event, first and no. foremost. It never will be, especially based on what I saw. But <laughs> PAX East, it, for those of you who don't know, is a the large. It's a large gaming exhibition convention out in Boston. And I went there, I went there last year and I decided to go there again. And they had a very large station, or Ar not Arxis, but Psy Games slash Exceed had a very large station for Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, so I got to play a few oh. matches, including playing a fun match against the voice of Scorpion, Dio, and Jiren, Mr. Oh, yes. Patrick Seitz. That was very fun. He had a really good Ladiva. Probably the best person I played there on... No, without a doubt. A Ladiva player. He's yeah. A, he's a, okay. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Doesn't he, doesn't he, he voices voice Ladiva? Ladiva? He yeah, does voice yeah, Ladiva yeah. in the dub. Makes sense, then. It does make sense. Uh, he was very nice, but playing Grand Blue. I played Vassaraga all the matches that I was in. As yeah. you guys can look in the last <laughs> podcast where I talked about how I would play that character. That you guys. Yep. Mm -hmm. But as I figured out, first and foremost... The game feels very responsive, which is great. I was afraid that with the simplicity of the inputs, it would feel kind of weird and how the button scheme was laid out. Yeah, I looking at the game and like looking at the gameplay, it's like the game looks 
slower in some ways like when you're just watching it yes it looks like it so you'd feel like maybe it wouldn't be mm-hmm. as responsive especially for like the running and stuff right it's, like, it's very slow start up mm-hmm. so it yeah. seems like a game like that mm-hmm. yeah. thankfully because both players are in that same movement limitation it doesn't feel slow which is great that's nice um I know, first of all, you got your light, medium, heavy button in that, but you also have a, like a trait button, like an Injustice uh, like 2. Or a special button? Yes, kind of. a special button. I have, did not have enough time to test whether you could do specific inputs with it, but it's like, for Vasaraga, it gave him his Soul Forge armor. Like, you just press it, and you get your armor. It does a unique move in the air. Yeah. And I think it might do something unique if you do down in the button, like directional. Um, there are half circles, there are charge motions, so... It's got all the traditional good fighting game stuff. I was afraid it would be reduced like Dragon Ball to just quarter circles. Yeah, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's supposed to emulate Marvel. So right. Marvel over here. No, but it's got it's got the KOF style of command grab. Half circle back forward. Oh, I'm not. Oh, yes. Not the biggest fan. I'd rather just 360 mm-hmm. it all That's the way. fair. I think Ladybo might have some 360s. I just know Vasaraga's command grab was that. It's oh, also got down-down yeah. motions. Oh, I love down-down motions. Oh, down-down motions are fair. Very simple. But the best tool that Vasaraga has is down heavy punch into his stance, which is this down down, and he can do uh, anti air, low, or a guard crush with it. So the best way to do it is to do the anti air right after a down heavy, and you get a like big twenty five percent punish. Yeah, I've heard the yeah I've heard about like the air anti air combos that you can get in that game. I think that might be well, it's gonna be a grounded game. Yeah, definitely, it's definitely grounded. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen, like, uh, mm-hmm. watching Seijan play that where it's like, oh, yeah, I just do a simple anti-air and 50% of your health is gone. Exactly. Like, okay. <laughs> there are some characters that'll be really good in the game and some that won't be, just like in any fighting game. Exactly. They did announce the final DLC character for that game, a person named Zooey. Zooey? Yeah. Very, I'm not familiar with Grand Blue, and I doubt Spencer is either. I mean, it's one of them. It's one of them gotchas, as we've mentioned before. Yeah. But we've we've talked about Grand Blue Law, so let's talk about what else I did at PAX. Another thing that happened is that there was a Mortal Kombat 11 tournament at 10 p.m. on the Thursday evening of PAX. It was not run well. Is uh, all that I'll say. There were <laughs> P- there were PS4 setups that had were from day one Mortal Kombat. 11. Ooh, like day one. Like, yeah, day oh, one. Yikes. So pre-nerf Garrus. <laughs> that sounds. Uh, that just sounds like they didn't even. They just kind of nope. just took the took some PS4s, shoved an MK decks like disc into it, and were like, "All right, that's pretty much time." See, the fact that made it more infuriating is that some of the setups did update and had season three, like three variations and everything that's of that. Whack stuff. They had a lot of whackness. None of them had DLC, first of all, so I wasn't going to have a good time regardless. Yeah, Shang Tsung yeah. and Shao Kahn. <laughs> That's right. Here. Dude, I paid money for my characters. Thank you very much. You like to shill it out. <laughs> I shill out my money. But no, uh, that tournament was not great. There were other events there. The U.S. Army esports team was there, oh, which yeah. is a fun statement to say because it's not something you think about. Yeah. That the army has a big esports division and that they travel a lot because they're the army. <laughs> I, I met some guys there who had been at DreamHack Montreal and we're going to go to not final round, but another tournament that's coming up. I can't remember. But one of them was a Street Fighter V Mortal Kombat 11 player who was playing Tekken, ironically. The first day, I did not win. <laughs> it, was two, it was two to one and it was sad. But then the next day I came back and I beat him 3-0. 
And that was a much better time for me. Well, looks like it's time to enlist. Uh, just for the record, you said I'm the best geese since Trungi. <laughs> Not sure. Right, right. A guy who doesn't play the game. Yeah. But now there were some really good players there. There was a great Dragon Ball Fighters player, though he played a kind of cancerous team. I doubt team. it. Because he plays, he plays cancer. He plays Kid Goku. Yeah, he played, yeah, he played GT Goku, uh, Adult Gohan, and Super Saiyan Goku. What a what a what freaking a, trash ass uh, team! Man, man wants to win. He travels. He does. He's yeah. <laughs> no Bardock at least. Thank God. Yeah, no Bardock. We don't we don't feel that. Mm-hmm. But speaking of Dragon Ball and the season three going around, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think of uh, people's tier lists that have been slowly appearing? Uh, do I, I want to talk about tier lists? I just want to talk about them. They, tier lists are the greatest clickbait thing in fighting games. Really, though? Because you go and it's like, this character is top tier on Sonic Fox's tier list. Yeah, like, oh, Sonic Fox said Raiden was S tier. He must be the greatest character ever to grace oh, this game. Yeah, or he's go- like a god. I knew it the whole time. <laughs> Goichi, he's, tell- he's telling me that, you know, this one character is actually mid tier, so he's probably really good now. It's like, you know what? I thought he was this way, but, you know, this one guy said... One guy said that he was A-tier, and you know what? I always knew. I always knew. Let's just be real. Tier lists don't matter. They never have and never will. Tier lists are for people who like to organize, which is fine. I get it. I get it. People like to organize stuff, and honestly, a tier list of what characters you enjoy is far more interesting to me than a tier list of what characters you think is strong or not. Exactly. And the competitive level, tier lists are a great guideline for characters you want to use. If you... That you think a consensus is strong, but you gotta understand a tier list is made after you play like thousands of matches. Not only thousands of matches, but you have to look at so much mm-hmm. of the frame data. You have to look at so many situations, and like mm-hmm. it's difficult for people to do that, especially when you have to gauge it like character by character, like interaction. Like, right. It's like it, you can't say that you're doing a Dragon Ball Fighter season three tier list and you're trying to put Kefla on the tier list. She just came out. There's not enough matches. There's not enough data. Like, how are you going to know? What's the Ginyu Kefla matchup like? Yeah, you, you're not. <laughs> exactly. Nobody knows the anything versus Ginyu matchup. Yeah, what's the Majin Buu Kefla matchup? Yeah. Who knows? Who cares? What's much better to kind of trade off of that? The much better thing than a tier list is a matchup chart from somebody who's played at least 1,500 matches or something of oh, the yeah. sort. Matchup charts are way better. Yeah, people who are character loyalists, character specialists who make matchup charts are extremely invaluable when it comes to this whole sort of thing. I trust a person who's played this X character against every matchup in the game, like, a lot, yeah. has a better understanding of what it's going to be like, and is more accurate than a tier list. And oh. then, who cares? Who cares? Like, mm-hmm. Honestly. I mean, I've been playing Zangief since, you know, season two of Street Fighter Five, where it's he was a rough time. terrible. He was rough super time. terrible. I don't care. Still fun. Yep. Still great. He has terrible matchups. He has the worst matchup against G, where he just can't win the game. Yep. But I'll, I mean, you don't like, get to play. You don't get, you don't to, get play to play, that. but I, it doesn't matter because sometimes you still win. Right. You just got to play Abigail. You just got to play it. Yeah, just play it. Uh, <laughs> nobody, don't play Abigail. Don't play Abigail. That's not <laughs> We don't let our friends play Abigail. Yeah, don't do that. But no. Tier lists are great for... They're great visual eye candy. They're nice to be like, oh, this guy thinks this character's low. I don't agree or care. Yeah. But that's nice to look at. But it gets infuriating after a little while because you'll see the same characters in the same tiers. You'll be like, oh, everybody thinks this character's S tier. Sure, the character's strong. Doesn't matter to me. No. Am I going to play the character? Nope. No. 
is it nice to know that he has some strengths when he is in a certain matchup? It's like, Johnny Cage can be S-tier in Mortal Kombat, but he might have a very bad matchup against Shang Tsung or something of this variety. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, or a female character, since his combos and block strings don't work on them. <laughs> I thought they fixed that. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not against Highborn Katana. Yeah, or if you think about just like in like Dragon Ball, people are like, Majin Buu is now the best character in the game because he has a fat throw assist, and now he's at the exact same spot. People are yeah. just gauging it off of like two yeah. things that they did to a character. It's like, right. you can't... You just gotta like, mm-hmm. just play with your heart, man. You can't, you can't just yeah. like listen to the tier list all the right. time. Right. A much better assessment of like season three changes would be like, oh, they got rid of uh, big boy fuzzies on the coming, so oh, big yeah. boy characters are probably slightly more viable or have better matchups. That's I mean, a much better assessment. Exactly. Well, that's just yeah, because that's just game improvement. Like, right. Like Z Broly's standing key blast can now hit small characters, which then you're like, oh, that probably makes the matchup a little bit better. That's far better knowledge than being like, oh, Broly is A, S tier now, and so is GT Goku. What does that say? What does that do? What yeah. does that mean? It just, people, sometimes people take that as like, now I can just use all of the all of his moves and nothing bad right. will happen. And it's like, well, you know, GT Goku doesn't, not all of his moves are great. Right. I mean, most of them are amazing, but not yeah. all of them are. Not all of them. Every character has bad moves. Exactly. Think about think about uh, freaking Enkidu in Uniclear. He w- he had <laughs> in Eunice. He Ooh. was in his own tier. He was because tr- he was trash. And uh, I still played him. He was really <laughs> trash, but she still did, did really well until I played a character and just outranged him. Yep, that's, I, I played that's a bad a matchup, and that's that's what happens. Yeah, bad matchups happen. I mean, I, I overcome one bad matchup first, and then this, then I had another one right in front of me. Yeah, I play Merkava, and uh, mm-hmm. he's mid tier, kind of high tier, and it doesn't even matter because usually when people play Merkava in that game, people can just wipe the floor because yeah. he's got some really interesting things. Yeah, when game balance fluctuates with tier lists and they get really tight knit. It really doesn't matter. It like it focuses on the player playing the character more and the ma- and matchup knowledge. Because if you do not know how to play against Merkaba, it doesn't matter whether he's mid tier or low tier. He's top tier yeah. at that point. <laughs> also, it doesn't matter if Enkidu is in his own bottom tier. If you don't know the matchup, I'm gonna oppress you with some frame traps. It's yeah. just how the character works. But now he's buffed. <laughs> now, now he's a now he's actually a buff boy. Yes, he is. Yeah. He's unchained. And I mean, it kind of just goes to show you there's just there's too many factors right. for you to even like compare it. Like, I mean, the people that are online and they play online all the time, they like talk about how they're gonna like tear horror because they're like, oh, well, then I'll be really good. You're playing with like 20 frames yeah. of input lag. <laughs> like, yeah, like tears matter when you're playing with that. When you have to tick, right. when you're dealing with tick throws in season three, like, no, that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing, man? Come on. Get out of you're here. You're still going to get grabbed. You're still going to get tick thrown. I don't care what you yeah, say. You have 20 frames that you have to mm-hmm. wait until you can react to a grab. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really weird to see so many people be very religious about tier lists. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because I see people who are like who will argue online about positionings of characters instead of like disagreeing or stuff. And it makes for, like we've said, it's made, it makes for good conversation, but it has no substance. I think the best way to do it is just show it. Yeah, like playing your character it. and being yeah, like, play the game. Oh. Prove to me that he's as top tier as you say he is. Exactly. I mean, I, I Kid Boo, I will still say, is yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's really good. Uh, Matt has seen that uh, plenty of times to see how he is a good character. That I have. That I mean, I have. Yeah, and I mean, uh, if you yeah, just think about it. Like, 
yeah, you see these pros who just like go in with like super low tiers, like Sakura. Maybe she's not low tier, but in Evo Japan, she's kind of she yeah. actually did really good. She <laughs> like, is insanely good. She, much, she very much is. But yeah, the more people experiment with characters, I think character experimentation is a great way to express yourself, like in a fighting game. Yeah, and there are some games that are very restrictive on that, like Street Fighter Five Vanilla. Yeah, definitely. And MK11 right now is a real. Real it's a real tough, tough one it's right now. It's getting better with multiple variations, but it, still. That game needs a lot... It's an MK game, so it's going to yeah. need a lot of balance before mm-hmm. it's going to get to the point where it's going to be a lot more diverse. Right. And, I mean, it, it also goes back to, like, when you have the low tiers and everybody's saying they're low tier, nobody's good. nobody wants to experiment with that character. Yeah. Like, you're just not going to see it. So, like, you mm-hmm. can't tell what his options are. It's, it's just exactly. how it goes. Exactly. Like, you never hear about... The, the tech stuff from characters that are on the lower end of the spectrum because no one wants to play them. Oh, yeah. And that's why that's why game balance is super important to me. Or at least to me personally. It has I to just like, be even. It, like, it's yeah. gotta, you got to have it where it's like, yes, you could have your better characters, but you should have them all be... Tech right. and stuff is a great example. They all mm-hmm. need to be kind of like in the same range so that you can have mm-hmm. so much character diversity. Exactly. Tekken 7 is a great example of that. There are characters like Akuma and Leroy who really broke some people's minds with tier yeah, lists. But then uh, Panda. Yeah, for and example. Then Panda, Panda could be played well because he plays good neutral. Exactly. Uh, for those of us who do not know kind of what we're referencing, a Tekken Pro Tour was won by a man named Rangchu, or whose tag was Rangchu, yeah, Rangchu. who played Panda, the s- one of the bottom five characters yeah, in that game. Maybe for sure. the second or worst character in the game. Yeah. And he won because he played good fundamentals and defense, okay. which made tier lists invalidated, mm-hmm. which I think kind of cuts into the core of our conversation. Yeah. It's, okay, there are some games where balance is not as looked at, and Marvel's a great example of that. Yeah, Marvel's a great example. Because you look at Marvel 3, talking about game <laughs> balance in that game is an interesting discussion because there was none. It was just whack. The it game, was whack. That game is just whack. But uh, yeah, but people loved it. People, I love Marvel. Yeah, Let's people love Marvel. People love Marvel Three. And when we're talking about, we just said that game balance is super important. Then why do people like Marvel Three? Do you think? I think in that instance, like saying game balance is important can mean multiple things. I mean, like uh, I guess I will say my favorite fighting game is JoJo Heritage of the Future. Mm-hmm. Terrible balance. Terrible. Just ter- you have to like awful. characters can't play, yeah, but it's great because maybe there was no attention to balance, but in that specific instance, it makes the game what it is. And I think right. that's why Marvel Three is the way it is. Is people liked that because you know everybody had something broken. It's like it was balanced in a way where it's like not everybody is broken, but everybody has something in their toolkit that is broken. So. Like and it it kind of balances out in its own way. Yeah, it ma- it makes it so that every character feels powerful to play. I always oh, yeah. chalk up Killer Instinct with that as well, because Killer Instinct has some characters that are like really bad in comparison, but on in their own, on their own, they're still powerful. And General Rom's the worst character in the game, but he's but got there was stuff. Yeah, there was just a top eight that had a Rom in it. Yeah, and I mean, like, or you think of like, uh, I mean. We don't ever want like X Factor again in a Marvel game. No. But let's be real. Like no. you're playing a terrible team. You got bad characters. You have the X Factor on your character. 
it's over. Like it's over. Yeah, they're still they're automatically good because yeah. they have X Factor. They they get they get a happy birthday and they and they X Factor. It's over. Mm-hmm. Well, who's the one player who played uh, Hulk, Hagar, and Sentinel? I cannot think of his name, but I do know who you were talking yes. about. Yes, and him playing against Chris G, who had Phoenix, Doctor Doom, and the top. Yeah, I forget. And uh, I want to say Virgil, but I don't. No, it might have been Magneto or something. Ma- he, he usually Magneto. Played, he played yeah, Magneto I think it was Magneto. But that's that's like a top tier team in that game versus a low tier team in that game with Hulk and Hagar, but he made it work. He really did make it work. <laughs> he made it work. That Look that up. That was at, that was at, uh, God, I want to say it was a winter or something or other. Yeah. Look up the match between Chris G and the Hulk-Hagar Sentinel player. That's a great set. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very fun. Speaking of low-tier heroes, who do you think is a person in right now in fighting games who really exemplifies what it means to play like a lower tier character and to stay loyal? Well, um, thinking of all the people that I could think about, uh, you know, Chris, you know, Chris MG. Yeah. He's, he's been, for Dragon Ball, he had been doing it for a while. He played Super Broly. He actually played Big Boys. Same with the Skill Sage, mm-hmm. who'd been playing uh, Z Broly, right. which was not the best, but he did amazing in the uh, finals for Dragon Ball. He actually yes. placed, like, I think third? Yeah, third. Yeah, third. He, he placed did. third, he lost to Fenrir. Yeah, it was, it was ridiculously great. Or, my favorite example of anybody at this moment is Kichipa, who is a Zangief player, who is, like, ridiculous. Oh, yeah. He reads everybody like a book, and then also he pops off anytime he wins a round. (laughs) Pop-offs are integral. And he just came out of nowhere, and he plays, like, a a lower-tier character, and he just wipes the floor. It's great. It's true. I I love people who play low-tier characters, because, A, super loyal. My one of my favorite is Zeta Ray Zeke. Yeah, Zeta Ray Zeke. <laughs> Zeta Ray Zeke, baby. Playing dude, shout out to Zeta Ray Zeke. Yeah, plays probably the worst character in Dragon Ball. Maybe this right now I think he is the worst character in yes. Dragon Ball. He was definitely in season two. Season three, he has a lot of new benefits, but everybody does. I so think he still puts him in a similar position. Let's just say I'm not gonna tier list or whatever, but he has no tools. Yeah, he has really bad matchups against the whole roster because the roster can do things that he cannot. Yeah, it, I think it, it, that is the best way to put it because he has a projectile parry that can be avoided. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a parry that can be dodged? Not only that, but a parry that can, if you avoid it the right way, then you get it a t- like a TOD or a touch of yeah. killing and they're killing him immediately. Exactly. <laughs> the the character that we are referencing in this is Jiren, which is ironic because he's the, technically the strongest Dragon Ball character. Yeah, he's technically strong. <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, he's not... He's Zeta... Not. Mr. Zeke plays Jiren religiously and is constantly advocating for his benefits and strengths, which is a very big term of respect. And he plays off of the that thing we were talking about earlier, lack of knowledge. Oh, yeah, lack of, he plays mm-hmm. a lot off that. And, I mean, it, it just goes to show the idea of, like, tier lists don't matter. Right. He's really there, good. There's an amazing video. If you guys watch Dotto Doya on YouTube for Dragon Ball Fighters, he puts out great content. But also, there's a great match of him fighting Zeta Ray Zeke, and <laughs> he did not know the matchup. And now Dotto plays here. Yeah, now Dotto is hilarious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, he's also just a fun character, and I will go with that. When you play low-tier characters, you get to find out so much cool stuff, because mm-hmm. nobody else does it, and then you're just like, wow. Yeah, it's that super works. Inve- it's super inventive. Yeah, I can't talk too much. I have played many a higher tier character. Akuma is not low tier by any means. No, he is not. But my experience with Enkidu taught me a lot about low tier city. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it taught me a lot about lo- about hard matchups and having to explore with your character to find out what works. That's the first time I had to do that in a very long time. And I think with Vassaraga, I'm going to have to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I always play with two characters. I don't know why. I just always... Mm-hmm. I pick them, and I'm like, this is cool. And then everybody's like, yeah. oh... Well, he's not really good. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, whatever. Yeah, never yeah. explored. And now I'm still playing like Blue Vegeta. I mean, don't. Yeah. I think I'm the only person that actually does like uh, restanding or like corner combos. Right. Yeah. I don't think anybody else knows no. those for him. So like, uh, at least I know. At least every time I do them, people are just like, huh, that well, works. I forgot he had that. I forgot uh, that works. I didn't know he could do that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, yeah. I think always pick low tiers. Always pick low tiers, people. Yeah. It, it's a very it's a very fun time. Now let's go. Let's talk the opposite end of that spectrum, just a tad. Okay. What's okay? Have you played a high tier character before, Spencer? Like uh, we're talking top of the line, tippity top of the line. Mm-hmm. Well, let me think, because I'm I'm pretty sure that there has been an instance where I have. I can't think of them at the moment because I'm more proud. Yeah. I like to I like to shun, <laughs> I like to shun away the idea of playing. Just tell me you weren't tempted by GT Goku at least once. Oh. <laughs> Piccolo. Piccolo, Piccolo, right? He was, he was a powerhouse. Back when the snap, back when the snap meta was a huge deal, he was a powerhouse. I will say he had a lockdown soup. He still has a lockdown super called Hellzone Grenade. Does not work as well anymore. Nope, does not work as well. But back in season two, that shit was crazy because you could basically lock down the opponent and force them to read to read a mix up, which was nuts. It was the game became if you're playing against Piccolo and he gets you to the corner, the game becomes you're just blocking and you're not doing anything. Yep, it, it's it was nuts. It was all over the place. Which on the one hand, I mean, like, it's understandable. It's how you play the game. Yeah, and I I will say you know I I did like Piccolo beforehand because he he has a lot of creative combo routes as well, which mm-hmm. kind of draws me to him because he's got a lot. He does not have the traditional Dragon Ball combos, right? Which is great. But no, yeah, playing a top tier, it, it does have its benefits in that way because you can just abuse things if you're like if you're having a really bad matchup and you're just not like uh, performing very well against somebody, then you can just abuse their very strong tools and basically uh, just play the oonga boonga lifestyle with that. All right, let me elaborate on my oonga boonga lifestyle. <laughs> oh, Matt, Matt's lifestyle. Let's, oonga oh. boonga. All right, so I play some topper tier characters. I don't think I ever played the toppest of the line, except maybe Geese Howard Season 2 Tekken. Yeah. Which that was, he was the toppest character in and, that game. And I Akuma in Street Fighter 5. And Akuma, Akuma in Street Fighter 5 and Geese in Tekken, I think, are my biggest examples for playing the toppest tier character. One could make an argument on Sector and MKX, but that game was all over the place. Yeah, it doesn't And when Alien came out, everything was invalidated. So, my experience with top tiers. First of all, people understand the matchup extremely well when you play a top-tier character. People know what Akuma does, and people know what Geese does at any level. So, how do you, how I break myself out of that? You gotta understand their tools down to the letter. I think with just like low-tier p- characters, using those tools to trick people. With high-tier characters, you got to know them so that you can vary it up. Exactly, because you can't just do the same thing over and over again. They expect yeah. people they to have just abu- not. They have abusable mechanics, sure, but but everybody not. And everybody knows mm-hmm. them. So like, right. if if you're gonna try to just do them the whole time, people are just gonna block it or they're gonna exactly. counter it because everybody's studying it. I swear to God, if I see another amateur Akuma player do EX Demon Flip from half screen, I'm gonna flip because that's that's that exact kind of thing I'm talking about. 
Akuma's yeah. always approaching with air fireball, or Geese always trying to use the mix-up, the 50-50 oh, yeah. mix-up that he has, which I, granted, have abused many times. Yes, but yes. at the <laughs> same time, when people understand and have knowledge of that, then it's crazy, it's right? Yeah. But anyway, that's all the time we have here today. Thank you so much for listening to Wake Up Options number four. And again, all the opinions here are not representative of the organization or Miami University as a whole. But thank you so much. I've been Matt. This I'm Spencer. Spencer. Yep. That yeah. has been Spencer. All right. That is me. Thank we'll you very much. Talk to you later. Bye.